Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. All right, my friends, welcome back. We started last week with just going through the three sets of instructions that the Buddha talks about when he's explaining what we're supposed to be aware of. Because when we do mindfulness, it's really easy, in my experience anyway, it's really easy to maybe be complacent and just kind of kick back, just watch what's arising, watch what's passing away. But don't go further into looking to see how our participation is really impacting what's arising and passing away. And that is the actual specific instruction in the Satipatthana Sutta. So I'll just read down this list from last week so we can kind of all be on the same page about what kinds of experiences we're supposed to be looking for. So this is the general list. So the list goes like this. We're supposed to be awake and aware to the general presence of experience. So what is arising in this moment and its counterpart having a general awareness of what is not present, right? What is absent of this experience that can be contributing to what I'm experiencing? So that's a tough one, but it's there. So what is happening? What is not happening? Then we want to be aware and catch the mind in the act, which means we want to be aware of something coming into existence. Noticing, oh, I'm sitting in mindfulness. I've got meditation going. Oh, wait, a thought's arising and catching things as they come into existence. And then we also want to notice its counterpart, things going out of existence. So coming in and going out. So in general, we just notice what's there. We notice what's not there. And then we try to catch the impermanence. We try to catch things as we notice them right as they're arising or right as they're passing away. Now, the harder part is the next two, which is noticing what is causing the present moment experience to arise and what is causing it to pass away. And this can be a noticing of what you're doing or noticing some kind of change in the body, some kind of change in the mind. So what this might look like is you might notice that suddenly the hindrances are starting to pop up and then you might discern, oh, my body's kind of stiff. Like I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe there's a connection there. Or you might notice, I'm feeling a little anxious in this sit. And then you might notice, oh, I'm having some negative self-talk. Connection, right? Those are conditional connections that the Buddha is asking us to make as they're actually happening. And we're not doing this with any ferocity, right? It's not like we're changing things so significantly because if we do the meditation you know evaporates of course and there's no concentration there's no samadhi there's no gathered energy so we're doing this still very passively but we are doing it we are approaching the moment with this kind of depth of curiosity now it gets even more challenging the next set of instructions are how do you remove experiences how do you prevent experiences and how can experiences be sustained increased or perfected so this is a (laughs) i just want to like acknowledge that this is a hugely tall order and this is the whole practice so this is what happens on your way to liberation right on a way to awakening you don't get all this stuff down and then you know then keep this is like this is the whole path so you have to look at this as a long journey this is not like step one two and three and then you have 20 more steps by the time you're able to sustain increase and perfect experiences in consciousness you're pretty much ready to go so um, this is a long journey and so these are just the different ways that the buddha encourages us to take mindfulness and then discern what is happening moment to moment another thing we covered last week that i wanted to just reiterate is that when the buddha says Be awake and aware to how experiences are prevented, cultivated, and sustained. 
What he's referring to is the Buddhist concept of formation or fabrication, which just means pay attention to your participation in the moment. What role are you playing? And it's just a reminder that that which we experience is co-created. There's no such thing as life experience. It's the creation of an experience that we call living. So the three ways that we do this in the Dharma is through our body. We change our posture. We change our breath. And that can change how we think, how we feel. We can talk to ourselves differently. We can intentionally think a particular thought, such as, may I be free from suffering? And watch how talking to ourselves differently changes the feeling and the experience of the present moment. We can ask different questions. And then we can also have what we call mental fabrication, which means you can change how your mind is visualizing or imagining or conceptualizing the moment. This one's a little abstract, but it can be helpful just to remind ourselves that the mind is constantly imagining the world as it's processing it. So this is something that's happening all the time. It's not something new that you have to learn how to do. The mind's doing this like every moment. So for example, you sit down to eat a meal and you anticipate the deliciousness of the chocolate cake. As you're imagining that and anticipating the flavor, your mind is visualizing, it's imagining and conceptualizing the eating. So your mind is always throwing up in the backdrop conceptualizations and visualizations and imaginations about how you are processing the world. So we can do that intentionally, right? We can imagine as we exhale, stress leaving the body. That's an imagination, that's a mental fabrication. Or as we breathe in, we can imagine well-being arising and filling the heart. So these are things we're doing all the time, but basically the Buddha says when we're participating in the moment, it's usually done through the body and breath, it's done through how we talk to ourselves and talk to others, and it's how we conceptualize or visualize or imagine what's going on in the present moment. So these are just the basic categories. So if we are going to heed the Buddha's instructions about looking at experiences and how they're caused and how they're removed, we're going to have to find a way of experimenting and intentionally participating in the meditation in ways that we're not always used to if we're just hanging out in mindfulness. So the real question that we have as meditators is, how do I notice conditionality and causality? How do I do that? I mean, it's a nice, instru <laughs> it's a nice instruction, but the Buddha doesn't actually clarify what to do with the details. And then the other thing that we have to ask ourselves is, okay, if I'm forming an experience, how do I learn to see that? Like, what are the actual steps in learning to do that? Because it's an easy request, but it's much harder to put into practice. So we really have to ask ourselves, what is the Buddha actually asking us to do? This reminds me, <laughs> this reminds me of the, just the phrase that we have in the Dharma so much of letting go, right? Like, oh, just let go, let go. It's such a beautiful word, but sometimes I ask myself, yeah, yeah, I know, let go, but how, how, how do I do that? Because letting go, to me, it's not very intuitive. Like if I could let go intuitively, my life would be great, but I can't. Like, how do I let go of a grudge or how do I let go of a mood? It's like, how do you actually do that? So I'm not suggesting that this is easy. I'm suggesting that this is something we have to learn to see. This is something we have to practice and experiment with. And this is the whole meditation. This is part of what we're learning as meditation matures. So one of our goals here is to figure out what the heck does the Buddha mean by changing our experience? And how do we do this in a way that's going to lead to being able to prevent and or sustain different states of consciousness that help us with our awakening? So that's where we're at with this type of uh, fabrication and this type of discernment. One way I, I was thinking about this, this today and I was trying to think of a, a metaphor to explain this transition between living unconsciously and living consciously through mindfulness practice. And what I came up with was it's as if we've been living our whole lives being driven by a chauffeur, right? So we live our lives in the back seat and someone else drives. And we're looking out the window and life's just doing what life's doing. And we start to realize, oh, wait, I'm not driving the car. 
and we start to realize the chauffeur has only one Google map and the map just has us driving around and reinforcing suffering. And I want to get into the front seat and boot the chauffeur out and I want to take control of the car and I want to drive to better places, right? I want to move from being a passenger in my experience of the moment to the person that's actually intentional, mindful, and active in my experience. So if you're in the back of the car and you wake up and you realize you're you're not the driver, the first step is gonna be noticing that, right? That's the mindfulness part of waking up to the fact that you're not in control of what's arising and passing away in your experience. And then, this is the other part that I thought of was, you look over the shoulder of the driver and you're watching what they're doing because you've never driven the car before. And so if you get rid of the driver, you then have to get into the front seat and you have to pull all the levers. And if you've never driven the vehicle, that's gonna take some practice, right? You're gonna have to coordinate the blinker and the windshield wipers and the gas and the brake and everything else. And if you've only been passive in that experience, noticing how the present moment is created is not going to be something that's just going to light up for you instantaneously in the moment. You're gonna have to explore you're gonna to have to experiment and you're gonna to have to try out the buttons and the knobs and the steering wheel and see like, if I turn the wheel to the right, how hard do I have to turn it to really make the car make a right turn, right? How much pressure do I need to put on the gas? And you're gonna to have to experiment with that in your own consciousness. That's discernment. That experimentation and that creativity is that process of getting to know what's actually happening in the mind and start playing around with and experimenting with different ways of participating and then watching the results. So that's the best metaphor I've come up with uh, so far. So the, the thing I wanted to highlight is the fact that the Buddha, the Eightfold Path is relatively clear, but under all the categories of these folds of the path, the Buddha often does not give a lot of examples of how to practice. So what we rely on is our own creativity, our own experimentation, and then for the most part, we rely on teachers who've been walking the path and they've been trying it out and experimenting and being creative. And I just wanted to remind us that part of the fun and enjoyment of your practice is the permission you give yourself to explore and experiment with different tools because not all the tools are written in the texts, right? Not all the tools have been handed down by every teacher and every lineage. So what you have is a long history of the basic framework of the Eightfold Path, and then teachers experiment and students get creative and they find different ways of participating in their Vipassana practice and they have breakthroughs. They have different ways that they do things. So one example is the jhanas, right? The jhanas, there's a brief description in the text about what they feel like and what the factors of jhana are. But over the course of centuries, there's like a dozen different ways that teachers have come up with and creatively created practices that live in the service of the experience of jhana. So there's not just one way to practice. There's all kinds of ways within your Vipassana experience to change the experience in ways that work for you. Because what works for you in the present moment might not work for me. And what works for you sometimes might be something that you have to change at a different time in your life or under a different circumstance. So, <laughs> you know, holidays are coming up and many of us are gonna be spending time with family. And there might be family members where it's easy to get along with. And then there might be family members where it's not so easy to get along with. And think about the way you're going to have to choose to be with different types of people. One type of showing up with a family member is not the same as somebody else. Being with one person might not take any effort at all to be kind or to listen to what they have to say or to be compassionate or generous. And then somebody else in your life, it takes all the energy in the world just to be with them, right? And that's just the way the heart and mind is. Like different circumstances are going to require a different kind of participation to get the results that you want. So I just wanna remind people to please give yourself permission to be creative. This part of the path 
allows you the most flexibility and the most creativity of any of the other folds or any of the other tools that you do in the Dharma. Changing fabrication gives you the most flexibility to be inventive and to customize your practice. So I just want to throw that open there so you can like go into these practices with a sense of curiosity. Let's see, that's my disclaimer. <laughs> All right, let's see what else I wanted to say about this. What time we got? Okay, we're good. We're at eight o'clock. So what I wanted to say before I walk you through this little practice is that I wanted to clarify the characteristics of a mind that's in delusion. And then I'm going to offer you a set of inquiries that are the counterbalance to that, that are a type of fabrication. That's where we're going with this. Part of the reason the Buddha invites us to be discerning is that by nature, it's much easier for the mind not to ask a lot of questions, not to get too detail oriented in things. The mind wants to work efficiently, wants to be quick. It wants to keep us away from immediate suffering and move on to grasping at a pleasure. And so in general, when we start as meditators, we realized it's kind of foggy in there. We can't see a lot of detail. We can't see a lot of clarity about what is going on behind the scenes of consciousness. Because in general, that's not necessary for us to go wake up in the morning and get some food and grab our coffee and get to work and be productive and come back and be with the kids and pay our bills. We don't have to do a lot of discernment to do basic living tasks. We just need to know basic stuff. But the idea of discerning what's going on in consciousness is a higher function. It takes a lot of patience. You have to be in a place in your life where you can spend time practicing. So this is something that we need to remember is that the mind that rests in delusion doesn't have a lot of clarity to begin with. It doesn't have a lot of clarity to begin with. Everything is kind of clumped together. And I'm going to explain how, how this kind of works. Think about the way the mind really enjoys black and white thinking. Looking at the world, this or that, A or B, right? The mind really does enjoy taking shortcuts. It likes to do reductionistic type thinking, reducing reality into overly simplistic language, overly simplistic observations or frameworks. This is kind of what the mind does. Meditation is the exact opposite. So the mind of delusion, right, really just wants things to be simple. And the problem with that is that when we have that experience of the simplicity, when we have this um, experience of ignorance or delusion, as the Buddha calls it, we don't get to see a lot of the details. And so discernment is our way of unpacking some of the details, because the more details we see, the more we can understand how the system behind the scenes is actually operating. It's doesn't require any energy to say, I'm really pissed off right now, and I'm really pissed off at you, and I'm going to blame you for a bunch of stuff. It's pretty straightforward, right? The mind makes you the enemy. The mind's like, I'm going to blame you for something, and I'm going to feel angry about it, and there's not a lot of detail involved, and I don't need a lot of detail to feel that way. Another thing we don't need a lot of detail about is if we feel something positive. For walking through our day, something pleasurable happens, we don't often say to ourselves, what's causing this, right? It's like, ooh, we're just having a good day. We just bounce along, our feet are hitting the ground, we're doing our thing. Again, the reason I'm saying this is to notice that discernment is about details. When we ask particular questions and we're being curious and investigative in the Dharma, what we're looking for is ways of changing our experience to invoke the details, to get the details to come to light. So the deluded mind, not really interested in the details. The deluded mind wants to stereotype, wants to offer a basic value judgment. It does not want to get into the nitty gritty. Discernment and investigation in the Dharma is the opposite. It wants to light up those details. It wants to see clearly all the different nuances that are going on. So I also wanted to throw that out because it will make um, these questions that I'm going to ask much more interesting to you. Okay, so... What I want to do, and I'm going to, I'll talk about this a little bit more as we go, but I wanted to offer this little set of questions. And as I said last week, if you've listened to the podcast, I think it's in the podcast. One of the things I said last week is that I wanted to bring today a series of questions that are really great for the Dharma, 
but are really popular in Western psychology and life coaching and therapy and a bunch of other types of um, orientations. But I like these questions so much and I like this process so much that I use this a lot when I'm practicing discernment because it hits all of the key things that we're looking for for a discerning mind in the Dharma. And I'll connect these, connect these for you in a second, but I want to go down and explain how this fabrication works. So as I said earlier, you've got bodily fabrication, you've got your verbal fabrication and your mental fabrication. This is the one I'm about to talk about is verbal fabrication, how we talk to ourselves. And I don't know why I enjoy this, these type of practices so much, maybe because I'm like a language oriented person, but I really like when people teach me new ways of asking questions that decreases my stress. If I can think about things in a different way and feel the expansion of my heart or the decrease in stress, I really like that. And I like the fact that through mindfulness, I can notice how thinking about things differently can ease my pain. So this is just a personal, personal thing that I really, really enjoy. So these questions are called gradation questions or scaling questions. This is the type of inquiry that this is. When we ask scaling questions, scaling questions are designed to do one thing very well, which is evoke details in an experience, which is why I like this so much. It's to evoke details in an experience. So I'm going to translate this into Dharma. When we have stress that arises in the Dharma and we're feeling overwhelmed and we're feeling intense experiences like anxiety, depression, or stress, or overwhelm, burnout, when we have these types of experiences, we are so close to them and so face-to-face -to, -face to them that we need to push them away slightly to see the details. So here's how it works. When you have an experience of stress, actually it might be easier, let me invite you to do this. Imagine some kind of stress in your life, not something huge, but just imagine something in your life these days that's a little irritating or a little stressful, or maybe it's getting you down. I just want you to bring that into mind. It doesn't have to be a huge one, but just something that you can work with. So we use this as a practical example. Think of something in your life that you can consider dukkha. <laughs> Could be something small. And then ask yourself this about that experience. On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being, this is the worst stress ever in my life right? 10 is the worst stress ever. And one is, eh, it's not that big of a deal. On a scale of one to 10, what is that dukkha like? Where does it fall? And this is not about accuracy. This is just about encouraging the mind to think in a particular way. So you have a stress and you just ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, what does this feel like? 10 being the most overwhelming stress in the universe and one being, eh, I don't even notice it. Now, we ask ourselves another question, which is, let's imagine this stress. And imagine that this stress suddenly decreases by two or three points on your scale, right? It, it goes down by two or three points. In that situation, what would you have done that allowed that to happen? What would have changed? It could also be, what did someone else do? But mostly because it's Dharma, we ask ourselves, what, did, what would I have done if that were to happen and that stress were to drop down just two or three points, not all the way to zero, but just drops down a couple points. What would have had to have happened for that to be the case? Maybe you behaved in a particular way, said a different thing, organized your time in a different, could be anything, but you have a stress, you've put it on a scale and then you ask yourself, okay, if that were to decrease just slightly, what would I have done that would have encouraged that to be the case? Now, another question we can ask, and these are all just types of questions in this category, what would have been the most noticeable change? If that stress had dropped down just a couple points, what would have been discerned first? How would you have noticed that it happened? Like if you'd been talking to a friend and said, hey, I had this stress in my life 
And then next time they talked to you, they said, you know, is it the same? And you're like, no, it decreased a little bit. How would you know that? What would you have discerned that says, hey, it dropped a little bit? What might you share with somebody else to say, hey, this changed? Another question we could ask using this type of scaling question is, you have a particular stress. It's at an eight, say, for example. Then you say to yourself, okay, let's suppose it dropped down to a five. What would someone else notice about you if that were the case? If this stress in your life were to change just a few points, now we're not going all the way down, and that's the key to this exercise. We're not talking about it being eliminated. We're just talking about it changing, Anicca. Let's say it changes a few points. Would other people notice a difference? And if so, what would they notice? And what would they know? Another way of asking this is, what would they notice that it would allow them to say or encourage them to say, oh my God, you seem a little bit less stressed today. You seem a little bit happier. You seem to be a little bit more at ease. What would they notice? We can continue the meditation by asking questions like this. Let us say you had your stress, your dukkha. <laughs> we had an eight dukkha, and then we imagined, okay, it's coming down just a couple points. Let's say it's back at a five, right? And then we ask ourselves, what would have to be the case? What would have to occur for it to stay at a five over the next couple weeks? What would I have to do to sustain that, right? You can see the crossover in the Buddha's request for sustaining. I was at an eight. Oh my gosh, it dropped down to a five. What would have to be the case? What would you have to think about, say, do, act, what, anything at all? that would sustain that for the next few weeks, whatever the case may be. Another way of framing it, you have a stress and you start your inquiry by asking yourself, okay, I'm really stressed right now, I'm really anxious. On a scale of one to 10, okay, my anxiety right now is is a six, right? Again, it's not about accuracy. It's about engaging the mind in a framework. It's at a six. Then we ask ourselves this. In this moment, what's actually preventing it from going up higher? What's preventing that six from being, an, why is it not an eight? What is occurring in this moment, in these circumstances, in my experience, that's preventing it from being, why is it just a six? What prevents it from being higher? This is a hugely good Dharma question. I'll explain this a little bit more, but that's a hugely good Dharma question. Now we can ask these questions not only about dukkha, but also about good things that are happening in life. Because we remember the Buddha is asking us to discern how things are arising, what's causing them, what's preventing them, how do we sustain them? So that's why scaling questions are so good for this. So you could do this with positive things. You wake up, or I would, I would actually do this at, at bedtime. You had a good day, and you say, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being, I showed up as the most outrageously compassionate, kind, calm, joyous being on the planet, and it's the most joyous and compassionate and kind and honest that I've ever been. I was so equanimous, I was so mindful, that's a 10. And one is, <laughs> I walked through the world today and did harm to myself and others and did nothing else but that. So that's your scale, right? You woke up and you were a complete ass. That's, that's the one. <laughs> and 10 is you were this divine angel and people looked upon you as you were the second coming, right? So that's your scale. And then you tell yourself, okay, where on the scale of goodness and joy was my day, right? And you just throw out your intuition. It's like, okay, my day was at a six, my day was at a seven even. And we can ask ourselves similar questions. What happened today that allowed it to be a seven? What happened today? What did you do? How were you showing up in the world? What was going on that the day was a seven? And you reflect on that. 
Similarly, you can ask yourself, it was a seven today, what prevented it from being an eight or a nine? Why just a seven? What was lacking? What wasn't present that allowed me to say, huh, it was at a seven <laughs> or it was at a two? <laughs> what was going on? What precepts were you breaking all day long that caused you to show up as a two in this particular day? And again, you're asking these questions to encourage the mind to look at the world as a gradation, right? As a scale, as a comparison and contrast. You're inviting the mind to ask questions that it normally doesn't ask of these kinds of things. So this is how you do the process. Scaling questions are, we start with a scale and then we begin to ask ourselves questions about our experience, about where am I at? What allowed that to be the case? What prevented it from being higher or lower? And what could I have done or what might I do tomorrow that would just move it a little bit more? Let's say it's at a seven. Okay, how do I show up tomorrow? And what would it, what would it have to be for me to show up and it was an eight, right? I want the rest of my week to be an eight. What would that be? What's the difference in how I show up? Or it's easier to look at it on the low end. So I have a day and it's a three. <laughs> and I say to myself, oh man, I was just... I was just barreling through the world today and I was just totally self-centered and I, I didn't know what was going on. And I would like tomorrow to be at least a five. What would I have to do to make that happen? And I might say, okay, a little more patience. Gotta be more patient. Maybe I shouldn't skip my meditation like I did this morning. Let's not do that, right? And we start asking ourselves about causality, right? This is about helping the mind see causality. So on the surface level, these kind of questions can seem like, well, okay, maybe they would help, but they're actually really well-researched and using scaling questions or gradation questions as they're, um, as they're called is really helpful for engaging in discernment. And so let me show you, let me explain why these questions do what they do so you can kind of see how you can really use this as a Dharma exercise. So I know I've already shared with you in the past that I on good days, I journal in the morning, set my intentions. How do I want to show up today? What's coming up? I always ask myself, who could use some love today? Um, and then at the end of the day, I just do a five-minute reflection after my evening sit, which is, how did I show up? And I just kind of reflect. Now, I can. that's when I would use some of these scaling questions. And this only takes a few minutes once you get the hang of it. But this is what scaling questions do. The first thing that scaling questions do is it reminds the mind that the world is not black and white. Most of the time, the deluded mind, the ignorant mind, has an experience of the day and doesn't have the patience or the discernment to really look at details. So do you ever have those days when you come home and you're like, oh, this day just sucked. I was so tired. I was so stressed. Work was terrible. And broad sweeping generalizations about reality, right? Black and white. This day was bad, my boss pissed me off, this client did this, my kids were driving me nuts, <laughs> couldn't get the kids to do what I wanted, right? Just a bad day. And the deluded mind looks at that as one broad sw uh, swash of stereotype, of judgment, of one single emotion. I am stressed. I had a bad day. No discernment. When we experience or vocalize a day like that, it's hard to get any release any relief because there's no details to work with. It's hard to grab on to that kind of description and work with it in a way that decreases suffering. When you experience dukkha, when you ask the question, okay, I've had a really bad day. On a scale of one to 10, how bad was it? Boom, now we have discernment. It's gone from terrible day to, well, let me really think about this. Is it the worst day I've ever had? No, it's not a 10. I mean, really, how it's like, well, okay, maybe it was. And what you'll start to do is you start to reconceptualize the day in a different way. You're like, it really wasn't that bad. The heart can get really melodramatic. And I'm going to express this from my own perspective, which is I'm very melodramatic when I complain about things. You don't get to see that here. But if you live with me, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I, I love to complain and I like to whine about things. If... If I don't keep my mind in check, it's just a long laundry list of complaints. So when you put that scale on it, what immediately does is remind the mind, hey, there's a lot of things that happen in your day, right? It's not the worst day ever. 
And that immediately brings some calm and focus to the mind. It brings some discernment because now you've given the mind a framework to think about the day differently. So that's one thing that that scale itself does. The other thing that the scaling question does is it moves our mind from being wrapped up in the pain of the emotion to the more discerning part of the mind, which can ask questions. You know how it is when you're feeling really bad? Let's say you have a cold. And if we're not approaching the cold with discernment, we might just say to ourselves, oh, I'm having a really shitty day. My nose is running. I've got a sinus headache and then whatever. <laughs> I was trying to think of what cold medicine would sponsor Wednesday wake up. Dayquil is not working or whatever. <laughs> Ever Sudafed, whatever uh, marketing, right? Uh, so you and it's just not working. And so you have this general sense of feeling uncomfortable, but the Dharma meditator knows that discomfort arises and passes away. Not every moment of the day that you were sick was equally unpleasant, and you know as a meditator that the feeling of sinus pressure arises and passes away moment to moment. It's not a continuous pain. You experience it in a gradation. Mindfulness allows us to experience the world and it allows us to experience the gradation of dukkha. Now, if we're not being mindful and we're just falling into ignorance, we might just stereotype the day as like, oh man, I just had a cold and I was feeling really bad. The scaling questions allow us to remind ourselves that moods are varied throughout the day right? A stressful day isn't stressful every single moment. There's moments of stress, but there's also moments of goodness. There's also moments of reprieve. That is what the Buddha is asking us to discern, right? When the Buddha says, catch something that's coming into existence. If I have a cold and I can be really mindful of the sensations, I might actually be able to catch a moment where that headache comes out of existence and the sinus pressure isn't so bad. And all of a sudden, there's a sense of equanimity. If I can discern it though, right? If I can see that. So what these scaling questions do, it allows you to look at the experience and give it a little bit of divisibility, right? To break it up a little bit so it's not so in your face, not so overwhelming. And so when we compare and contrast, then we really get to see, well, what was I really experiencing? It wasn't just a sucky day. It was a seven. And let me tell you, let me tell myself why. And you start engaging in the actual experience because that's what this scaling question does. It gives you a framework to engage the experience. So another way of looking at this is that scaling questions put us in touch with the question that the Buddha invites us to ask, which is what prevents or encourages a particular experience to be the case? So when you ask yourself, okay, I had a bad day, I had a cold, my dukkha today, my dukkha scale was an eight. Now, the discerning meditator might ask, okay, what allowed it to not be a nine though? What was present or absent that allowed it just to be an eight and not a 10? And that's what the Buddha is asking us to do, to look into the present moment and ask ourselves what is present and what is not present. Scaling questions allow us to train the mind to ask that question and to actually actually practice seeing it. So if I have a particular day and I say, my day was great, um, and I, let's say I'm scaling it at a seven, and I'm like, oh, I had a great day today. I'd say it was at a seven, right? My joy factor is seven. Okay. Well, the Buddha is asking us not to be complacent, right? The Buddha is saying, when you experience pleasure, you want to ask yourself, what was present? What was not present? What allowed that joy to be there? So with the scaling question, it allows this impetus for inquiry because you can say, okay, joy was at seven. Well, why wasn't that at a nine? What was, what was not present there or what was present? Would it allow that to be the case? So this is a crutch, right? This is a fabrication. It's a way of engaging the present moment. It can be done very briefly. And what it does is it allows us to get a foothold in this process that the Buddha asks about causality of prevention and causality of sustaining things that arise and pass away in the present moment. And again, like I said earlier, this is just one of a zillion tools you can use to get your mind oriented 
to looking at these subtleties of experience. And this is just one that I really enjoy doing. Okay, one other thing I wanted to say about that. When we're practicing the Dharma, effort is such a big deal, right? Meditation is an effort. Intentionality is all surrounded by effort. And so if we're going to practice discerning what is present and what is not present and how we participate in this role, then scaling questions, what scaling questions or gradation questions do is it puts us back into the driver's seat of effort. So when I asked you earlier, let's say you're on a scale, whether it's the good scale or the aversive scale, and it's at a seven, and you're going to ask yourself, well, how do I make it an eight? Or how do I sustain it at a seven? Or how do I prevent it from being a five? That's wise effort. That's an effort question. What it's doing is it's inviting you to consider how does your effort bring something into reality, sustain it in consciousness, and what allows it or encourages it to pass away. And so, for I always use anxiety as an example. <laughs> I feel like no matter how much I practice the Dharma, I feel like I always need to remind myself that my anxiety is a lot less when I'm practicing meditation. Like, I complain about it a lot, but like without, without meditation, I'd be doomed. I'd be just a little worrywart. I wouldn't be able to do anything without Vipassana. So it's helpful for me when I'm having an anxious day to ask myself, when I'm panicky, because I can get really strong, high strung and get really anxious, the first thing I can do when I'm feeling really anxious is, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is this anxiety? And as soon as I say that, the anxiety lessens. Right? I've changed the framework. I've, I've invoked a verbal fabrication, and now I'm relating to the anxiety differently. Boom, it takes it down a notch. And then I ask myself, okay, is this the worst anxiety I've ever had? It's like, no, it's not. The pain decreases. That second, third arrow decreases a little bit because now I'm actually being a little bit more honest about what I'm actually experiencing in the present moment because I'm asking myself to really think about it. What's really going on here? And so sometimes I find that once I just get to the part where I've scaled my anxiety, I realize that I thought it was much higher just because I was complaining about it, right? I was in a bad mood and I was saying like, oh, I'm so anxious. And then when I start thinking about it, it's like, Gregory, are you really that anxious? Or are you just like, what, what are you doing right now? Like, how anxious actually? So it's like, you're asking yourself to really second guess the dukkha, right? You have to ask yourself, is this a second arrow? Is this the third arrow? It's like, what's going on right now? So these gradation questions really encourage this type of Dharma thinking that the Buddha asks us to do. And if you do this every so often, it can be done really quickly and you'll notice, and I would encourage you to, to do it in this way, ask yourself the questions, practice asking yourself different questions and be mindful of what happens on the level of mood as soon as you ask the question. Look, be discerning. What happens if... I'm having a really bad day at work and I ask myself this question, what happens? That's the process of discernment. That's the process of using mindfulness. Now, of course, you gotta get mindfulness, <laughs> mindfulness established first, right? Step one, be mindful. Because if you're not being mindful, you're not, gonna have any of, <laughs> you're not gonna have any discernment to be able to ask these kinds of questions. All right, my friends, this is just one of the exercises that we'll be talking about in the next few weeks. We're also going to be talking about in the next few weeks visualization practices that also allow us to invoke this type of discernment. This is just a type of verbal fabrication, how we can talk to ourselves. There's other types of fabrications. So we're going to talk about visualization practice in the coming weeks and aspiration practice, how changing your aspiration in the present moment and changing your mental fabrication, how you're visualizing or imagining what's going on can completely change what's happening to prevent something or sustain something. So that's where we're headed with this. So my invitation to you is to try this out. Now, I'm going to leave you with an, another note about this. If you don't like numbers, like I'm a number phobe, like I don't like I don't like numbers. Numbers make me feel scared because I suck at math so badly. So as soon as numbers get into the mix, Here's another way you can do it, and we'll talk about this a little next week too. Instead of thinking of it as a scale from like say one to 10, you can do a little visualization practice. Imagine you're walking up a set of stairs 
The top of the stairs is one end of the scale and the bottom of the stairs is a different end of the scale. And so if the bottom end of the stairs is the worst day ever and the top of the stairs is the best day, where on that staircase are you? And you just kind of imagine, you use it as a visualization. You don't have to do numbers. Numbers is just one way. The point is to offer contrast to the experience, to invoke the mind, to be in a state of consciousness where it looks for details of experience. That's what this is all about. What details can I invoke by asking different questions? So walk up and down the stairs if you don't want to change, if you don't want to use numbers. <laughs> Oh, all right, my friends. I don't know why that cracks me up, but it does. We are right on time. I'm so happy. Yay. Okay. So we'll be doing some practice and some more guided practice over the next few weeks, including some uh, breakout groups. But next week is Turkey Week. So no Wednesday wake up next week. I got family coming into town, so I'll be pretty busy Tuesday through Friday. So I will see you the week after, and I will send an email to remind folks that we're going to be taking that uh, day off. But then when we come back, we'll be doing visualization practice like Tonglin and stuff like that about fabrication. So those are always really fun. For those who have to go, thank you so much for helping us create Sangha here. As always, lovely to be with you. For those who can stay, let's practice some meta. Have a safe and happy holiday for those who are celebrating or being with folks. Take care for those who have to go. Thanks again. Time to fabricate a completely different experience by closing our eyes, taking some deep breaths, and returning to the body. Notice how your body feels. And we might just gently remind ourselves that how we're feeling in this moment is a fabricated experience. Somewhere in our minds, we're thinking in a particular way. We're breathing in a particular way. We're sitting upright in a particular way. All of this gives us a sense of sitting in this moment. So what would have to be present in this moment for you to feel relaxed and at ease in preparation for loving kindness? Maybe we feel into the body with awareness, relaxing the muscles, Feeling ourselves back in the chair, noticing sensations again. Maybe you take a few long, slow, deep breaths and end on a full exhale, relaxing deeply into the body. Maybe you take a moment to gladden the heart by wishing yourself well, thanking yourself for the practice of the evening. And let's remind ourselves, after all is said and done, after all this talk of fabrication and scaling questions, Our commitment, our highest aspiration, is that our own healing and our own well-being be in the service of all beings to be free from suffering. Let the awakening of our heart, cultivation of kindness, generosity, and joy not only heal ourselves, but be in service to the healing of all beings. How does it feel to recall that, to bring that into the room? The remembrance of goodwill, 
a desire for awakening, freedom, compassion, and joy. Allow that energy to delight the heart. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from danger, worry, and concern. And may all beings know true love, true joy, and compassion in this very lifetime. May all beings be free. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website www.wednesdaywakeup.com and click on donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.